rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton. Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over the Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman. This is Superman, Superman in the, the Bronze Age. Age. everybody and welcome to episode 108 of Superman in the Bronze Age. My name is Charlie Niemeyer and today we're going to take a look at the first part of a two-part story introducing a brand new villain to Superman's world. But first we've got some emails and that's right folks we've actually got more than one. Okay let's get started. The first one up comes to us from a guy you may have heard of before, uh, Russell Bragg, and he writes, Hello, Charlie. I didn't get a chance to compare the two episodes where you talked about Superman 330. Could I have imagined that you covered it before? I couldn't find the other episode anywhere. Maybe you covered it with someone on another show. I looked at my copy of the issue, which is not a Whitman. The ads looked the same as you described, just the one page devoted to anything superhero. The remote controls supermobiles and the DC superheroes poster book. This is kind of weird. But what I do know about, or but what do I know about advertising in comics? Wow, I always thought that this was the first and only appearance of the Spellbinder. He was originally a Batman villain when he first appeared in Detective Comics 358. Then later on, this Spellbinder was killed by his girlfriend, who then became Lady, Lady Spellbinder. Thanks for letting me know how many issues you have left. I'll get the tissues ready. And thanks for the subtle hint of what you and Dave will be talking about on the episode. I figured it would be that one. Perfect choice for a Bronze Age show to conclude on. That's all for now, Russell. Well, thanks, Russell. No, I haven't covered that that issue before. I don't think I've covered it on anyone else's show either. It might have been it's been mentioned a lot, but I don't think we specifically talked about it. Uh, I think the closest spot might have been either on this show or on Michael Bailey's views from the long box when we talked about Superman. We might have mentioned it there, but we didn't give it a full coverage. So this is the first time I've fully covered that issue. But thank you for writing in and for the more information about Spellbinder. There was a note about him appearing in an earlier issue of Detective Comics, but I, I just didn't mention it because I, I for forgot to. <clears throat> anyway... Our next email comes from Mark Lax, and he writes, Back when I was in junior high, I was on a back issue kick. I would spend hours at the comic store looking through all the issues and probably making a big mess. But I'd leave the store happy and my wallet much lighter. 
I would look for comics everywhere. Tag sales, garages, my friends' houses, under beds, etc. But one of the places I found some of the best comics was at flea markets. It was one of those flea markets that I finally or that I pro- proudly found Superman number 330. I remember looking at the cover and saying, what the heck are they thinking? Initially reading the comic, I thought, hey, that's a cool idea. But in retrospect, I stand by my initial reaction. I mean, super hypnotism. Maybe if Superman was doing it on purpose. But how could this super-powered, galaxy-hopping, time-traveling, world-juggling man of steel not know since the time he was Superboy that he was using super-hypnosis to hide his identity? I mean, it may have sounded like an interesting idea, especially coming from a letter writer, but it just misses the mark. Okay, it totally misses the mark. But hey, it's the Bronze Age, not quite as silly as the Silver Age, and more experimenting. But whatever you thought of those Bronze Age issues, they were always fun, and I look on it with a smile and a twinkle in my eye. Well, thank you, Mark. I think that's my first time hearing from you. So thank you for writing in. I completely agree. It was not as silly as the Silver Age, but definitely more experimental, which is why it was quickly forgotten. Uh, Next up, we have an email from Professor Allen of the Relatively Geeky Network, specifically the Showbox Showcase and Quarterbin Podcast, not to mention occasional appearances on the Book Guys Podcast and guest appearances on other shows. But anyway, he writes, Charlie, Super Hypnotism. I was a fan of the backups, especially The Private Life of Clark Kent. I did not read a ton of New 52 books, but All-Star Western was one of my favorites, partially because it often had a backup story of another Western character. Even though you're getting the same number of pages of story, there's something more satisfying about it getting two stories for the price of one that I always have appreciated. I'll continue to enjoy the show until you bring it to an end, you and your darn priorities. Professor Allen, host of the Quarterbin Podcast, co-host of the Short Box Showcase. Oh, well, I already said that, but thanks. Uh, thank you, Professor Allen. Uh, yeah, I uh, I like the, the backups, too, sometimes. Uh, when I'm reading them, they're fun. When I'm having to do a podcast, it's like I'm having to podcast to do a synopsis for two different stories in one issue. So, uh. But um, I, I actually did read some All-Star Western, mostly because of its connection to Gotham City. I did eventually drop it, but I did enjoy the backup features, especially since some of them would be drawn by like I think Walt Simonson did one uh, but they'd get other artists like Jose Luis Garcia Lopez praise be his name to come in and actually do the art for them so they were actually that was actually pretty cool uh, but yeah I'm sorry the show's going to be ending but you know it, it maybe not forever who knows maybe someone else take over I, I'm not planning on it but maybe and then I have a follow up email from Russell Bragg who writes, P.S. I enjoyed your guest appearance on the 20th episode of the Superman Batman podcast hosted by Michael Bradley. It was a pleasant surprise. I enjoyed your channeling of Edith Bunker during that ad reenactment with Michael. You truly have a gift. In closing, all I have to say is, caca, or however you spell it. Well, thanks, Russell. Yes, I uh, I did appear on the 20th episode of Superman Batman podcast, uh, which, as Russell noted, is hosted by Michael Bradley, who is a former guest of the show and, if things go well, future guest of the show. Um, we talked about the first appearance of the Moon Man, and 
just be, mostly because he asked me what I wanted to cover, and I thought that would be cool because it does have Bronze Age connections due to uh, a Lady Luna, Lunar, Lady Lunar, Lady Lunar. I never have looked that up, um, and I did cover her appearance in World's Finest on a previous episode of my show, so I thought it'd be cool to look at the her basically her origin story because she has a lot of ties to Moon Man. So we looked at that, and the Edith Bunker thing, if you haven't heard the episode, which, shame on you if you haven't, um, Edith Bunker thing was uh, an ad reenactment. They didn't have hostess ads back then, obviously. It was the 50s. Uh, but they had a comic strip, uh, a, a funny comic strip by Murray Boltonoff, and I got to play the wife while Michael played the husband. And, uh, yeah. And the caca is from the Blackhawks ad, because apparently that's what they say. I don't know. I've never read a Silver Age or or Golden Age Blackhawk book, so I don't know if they actually go caca. But that's what it had written in huge letters over the ad. So yeah, it was. <laughs> I had a lot of fun, and I thank Michael again for allowing me to come on his show and knock it down a few levels of maturity thanks to my caca. But yeah. But anyway, thank you, Russell, and thank you, Alan, and thank you, Mark, for writing in. So next up, we're going to play a couple promos, and when I return, we'll get to our issue for the day. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, The Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, The Schuster Herald Podcast, It's Superman, The Carousel Podcast, The Armor Cure Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. What's wrong, Star Wars fans? Disney. Disney killed the expanded universe. They killed the whole thing. It's dead. Every single book. Not just the novels, but the comics. And the video games, too. It's like they're just stories, and Disney threw them out like stories. I hate them. Okay, Star Wars fans, relax. Here, have a Snickers. No one destroyed your Star Wars Expanded Universe. In fact, I'm going to give you a whole new opportunity to go back and explore all those books and comics that have helped to shape and mold this universe we love so much. 
Join me on the Star Wars Saga Cast, where I'll be walking through the various branches of the Star Wars Expanded Universe, much of it for my very first time. I'll be bringing you short episodes that review comics, longer episodes that explore the novels, and in-film commentaries, because you know you're just dying to hear what some random guy on the internet has to say about movies that you've seen a hundred times before. You know you are. So come along for the Star Wars Saga Cast at thestarwarssagacast.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Okay, Superman number 331 had a cover date of January 1979 and an on-sale date of October 23rd, 1978, and a cover price of 40 cents. The title of the story is Lock Up at 20,000 Feet, written by Marty Pasco, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Frank Sciaramonte, lettered by Ben Oda, colored by Adrian Roy, and edited by Julie Schwartz. It begins on the roof of Star Labs, where Superman has spotted Roger Corbin, a.k.a. Metallo, stealing solar mirrors off of the roof in an attempt to find a new and different power source for his robot body. But Metallo is prepared, and thanks to the kryptonite he arranged to have access to after escaping prison, he makes short work of the Man of Steel, knocking him around and then throwing him off the roof. But the toss wasn't that good, since Superman was able to catch his feet on the edge of the building. Metallo heads over to finish him off, but sees that all that remains are Superman's boots somehow still stuck to the building. Unknown to Metallo, Superman managed to slip out of his boots and fly around to the other side of the building. A burst of super breath activated Metallo's flying scooter, which diverted his attention long enough for the caped crusader Wow, caped crusader, really? For the caped Kryptonian to grab a solar mirror complete with, the, with lead painting, plating. Complete with lead paint. Wow. Complete with lead plating, slam it over the kryptonite, knock Metello out, and then use his heat vision to fuse the lead to Metello's chest. As we finish the scene, we learn that this is all flashback, because it happened earlier in the day as Clark and Lana deliver the report of Metello's capture, which leads to, an, to Lana announcing that she will be on hand the next day for the opening of the new Mount Olympus Correctional Facility, which is the world's first 100% escape-proof jail. It was designed by Carl Draper, who is currently watching the report, and while he should be excited to begin his new assignment as warden of the new prison, his first month in Metropolis has been pure hell, thanks to his more than 12-year obsession with one Lana Lang. Back at WGBS, as Martin Corda talks to Clark about his image, Lana invites Lois out for dinner to clear up some misunderstandings and apologize for her recent behavior. Uh, Lois accepts the apology, but declines dinner due to already having planned a date with Superman that same evening. This, of course, upsets Lana, who feels that Lois doesn't appreciate the hero as much as she does, and she doesn't deserve him, while she would show him what it's like to have a woman who actually appreciates him. Yes, listener, what Lana, wa Lana Lang wants Superman, and what Lana Lang wants, Lana Lang gets. The next morning, Lana begins her report from the Mount Olympus Correctional Facility, mentioning that the prison requires neither high walls nor guards, just the maintenance staff of two men. During her report, Carl finds himself wishing he didn't have to be there to do this due to his nervousness around Lana, who apparently doesn't even remember him. 
Next up, he provides a tour of cell block A, which is completely automated and contains cells that are each custom designed to handle the criminals inside. Each cell has its own power pack key, which powers the devices that make the cells escape-proof. For example, the power pack on Metallo's cell powers a radio transmitter that prevents him from escaping unless he wants the radio waves to disrupt his robot body if he tries to set one foot out of the cell. Because of this, they've allowed him to keep the kryptonite in his chest, as it is cheaper to replace than radium. The power packing Parasite's cage powers a giant lens that siphons off any extra power that he absorbs, then transfers that power to the power pack, keeping things in a power loop. And the power pack in the Atomic Skull's cage monitors his brain activity, and when he's about to have one of his energy bolt seizures, it gives him an electroshock to counteract the seizures. Yeah, electroshock. So while all this bores Lana to yawn, everyone is called outside for a surprise. Apparently, in appreciation for help for keeping his villain safely locked up, Superman makes a real super dickery move by enclosing the prison in a plastic bubble, effectively cutting it off from air, apparently, and mounting it on an anti-gravity platform and moving it so that it floats 20,000 feet above the ground, which means that no one can enter or leave without Superman's help. Or rocket boots. Or a rocket pack. Or an anti-gravity belt. Or anything else that would be easy to get a hold of. He then gives Draper and his assistant a special signal device in case they need his help. And while Superman calls it Draper's Island, Lana prefers to call it Superman's Island, which, of course, is the name that sticks, especially since Draper's entire interview gets cut out of her footage and replaced with footage of Superman building his little platform. The next day we... er, the next day, yeah. Next, we shift forward 10 days, where, at 3 a.m., a man in shadow puts on a gray and black costume, enters cell block A, and takes the power pack keys from the cells while the prisoners sleep. At this point, at 344 Clinton Street, apartment 3D, Clark is about to go to bed when his super hearing picks up the tone from Carl Draper's distress signal. When Superman arrives at the floating prison, Carl tells Superman that his assistant attacked him while muttering something about revenge and saying he was going to kidnap Lana. Quickly, Superman takes off again for Lana's apartment, moving so fast that his right boot actually turns yellow. It's crazy. Uh, 30 seconds later, he arrives outside of Lana's to see the costume man from earlier blasting one of her windows. Seeing Superman, he taps one of the power pack keys, currently on a keychain on his hip, and hits Superman with a kryptonite beam from his left hand. The recoil from the blast sends him into Lana's apartment, where a simple touch to the cheek sends her to unconsciousness. At this point, Superman flies in and, after knocking his opponent across the room, gets hit by another kryptonite beam, at which point the villain reveals that the power pack keys actually absorb power from the criminals to power their cells. Therefore, he has the powers of the atomic skull, parasite, and has absorbed the kryptonite energy from Metallo's chest and has those powers at his disposal which he demonstrates by using the power of the Parasite to drain what's left of Superman's power to knock him out, declaring himself to be the Master Jailer. When Superman comes to, he is deep inside Mount Olympus. Master Jailer reveals that Draper's assistant is actually still up in the prison doing his job, unaware of the, of the Carl Draper robot in Draper's office, which he programmed to send the distress signal to Superman. See, the Master Jailer is Carl Draper and he's completely drained Superman of all of his powers, meaning that he is now stuck as the lone inmate in Draper's latest prison, and by the time anyone notices Superman is missing, and Draper has been replaced by a robot, 
He and Lana will be far away, and Superman will never be able to come between them again. Now, I know what you're asking. After such an awesome issue, what could you possibly have to talk about? Well, I have a lot to talk about. But first, let's look at the cover. It's not a bad cover. It's uh, and, uh, Ross Andrew and Dick Giordano, and it shows Superman trying to get out of a cage while Master Jailer's got Lana in his grasp. And behind him, you see Metallo, Atomic Skull, and Parasite in their cages. Makes sense. Takes up the whole cover. Superman's hands are a little wonky. But other than that, it's not a bad cover. Um, does everything you need it to. I don't have a problem with it. And you could be winner in the second Superman movie contest. Details inside. So, right off on the first page, we're told that our new villain is going to be called the Master Jailer. I don't like it when they do that. Let's let's kind of wait for the big reveal during the story, you know? Uh, now, I don't have too much trouble with the superman Metallo fight, other than super, how Superman's boots actually got stuck to the building. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty good. Well, it comes with the prison. First of all, apparently, there's only three criminals in here right now. Now, granted, there are three recent criminals that have made a big to-do during Marty Pasco's run, so it makes sense. But... What about, like, oh, I don't know. Where, what about Luther being there? Or, I don't know, any of the other supervillains. Maybe not Parasite or Prankster. Or, not Parasite, uh, maybe not Toyman or Prankster. But, you know, there's some other criminals that could be in there. In fact, there's, an ad, there's a newspaper headline later on that Terra Man's going to be moved there. So that's kind of cool, actually. Um, I like how they kind of just breeze over the fact that Metallo's allowed to keep his kryptonite, even though we learn later that the kryptonite is actually being absorbed by his power pack. The thing I don't like is that they're using electroshock to take out to take care of the atomic skull. It's kind of sad. They're not we're trying to cure it. They're just trying to counteract the problem rather than cure the reasoning. It, it just kind of sad. Um, now, what I don't like, though, is Superman and what he does. Now, look, I understand he probably is doing this in appreciation, but seriously, I mean, we've got this 100% foolproof prison. No one's supposed to get out of it. So, he puts it in a plastic dome and lifts it 20,000 feet above the ground. Which not only makes it, I guess, more 100% escape proof, so I guess 110, but it makes it really inconvenient for the people that work there. Granted, there's only four people, but there's four people that work there. Draper, his assistant, and the two maintenance guys. Which means they need either some kind of floaty way to get up there, or Superman. Not to mention, it doesn't look like there's a door on this thing. Which reminds me later on in the story, how did Draper get out of there as the Master Jailer? Granted, he could fly, but he busted out of there. Superman might would probably have noticed when he came in to check on that distress signal. So, yeah. Plus, um, Lana also kind of does a dickery move by completely removing Carl Draper's section of the story and changing the name of the island to Superman Island. That's just wrong. And I can understand, granted his 
some of the problem is Lana, and he completely misses that because of his infatuation with her. But I can completely understand why he's upset with Superman after reading this. Not so much that what he does in the, for the during this story, but I can see why he's upset with Superman. Now, unfortunately, the clue as to who's putting on the costume is kind of given away because Carl Draper's been wearing nothing but green with green suit and white shirt this entire story so far. We're only on page 12, and it's a man with green pants taking the Master Jailer costume out of a closet. Yeah. But other than that, there's not much else I have to say about the story until next issue, because next issue has some cool stuff. But yeah, most of my notes will come later. But there are, I mean, there's there are some loophole plot holes in here that you got to look at. But the action scene at the beginning wasn't bad. Uh, but other than that, Kurt Swan's art is pretty pretty nice here. Um, you can see people getting upset. This Carl Draper guy doesn't really have emotions, and he's wearing one of those shirts that buttons down halfway down his shirt, and he's wearing necklaces. Very very seventies. It's kind of gross. And for some reason, when I'm reading this, this Martin Corda guy sounds like the millionaire on Gilligan's Island. It's like, Kent, dear chap, how many times must I remind you? Smile. Put some life into it. You're in show business, blasted. The news is supposed to be entertaining, even if it's depressing. Ed Morrow didn't have to sell Clino detergent between news items, so let's talk about your image. It's just, yeah. Anyway, let's look at the ads. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Hey, Gene, we should do a podcast. Sounds like a great idea, Jeff. But what will we talk about? How about a superhero that we both love? Perfect. Something like Thor or Captain America? Uh, both great choices, but um, I think they're being covered by somebody else already. Wait, I've got it. What about the protector of the universe? Like Voltron? No, no, no. The guy with the jewelry that lets him create whatever he wants. Ah, Green Lantern, nice! Close. No, this guy has cosmic awareness. Captain Marvel? Almost. I mean, Quasar! Ah, Quasar. Who doesn't love a good Quasar? Tune in to the Quantum Cast, covering all things Quasar. Yes, that's right. You can find us at quantumbands.blogspot.com. And on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Yeah, that, that didn't sound scripted at all, did it? Look, up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world! Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man. Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Uh, first, uh, Hodgepodge ad. Let's go to a superhero ad. What do you say? First up, we have a hostess ad starring, of all people, the Penguin. But rather than make you listen to me act this out all by myself, here are Michael Bailey and Scott Gardner doing it for me. Take it away, guys. 
Okay, this is the Penguin in Penguins on Parade. And you've got these just eerily, creepily human-faced emperor penguins marching in a parade down the down the street. It's really disturbing. And you got people standing beside the street looking at him and going, and one dude goes, Look, a parade of emperor penguins! And another guy goes, Must be an advertising gimmick. You aren't looking at penguins, my dear. They're puppets in, pecu- in a pecuniary plot, which will soon thicken. While everyone's attention is engaged by my penguins, I shall take possession of the Emperor's sword. I can't, wait, let me say that again. Because I'm going <laughs> to say it right. The Emperor's sword. A king's ransom in gems and history. This penguin looks like the type of guy that would say sword. Well, well, well. Somebody has left some Hostess fruit pies. Easily accessible. Apple and cherry. Wham! I think a little stopover to enjoy some would not be amiss. Ah, this is the point where I really wish that I could do a really good Irish accent, but I can't. But the cops, there's two police officers waiting for the penguin, and they grab him by his legs. And I imagine one of them going, get your ass in here. He goes... <laughs> we put Emperor Penguins and Emperor's Sword together and knew you had to be near. And the other cop says, And thanks to Hostess Fruit Pies, you're not only near, but caught. Wah, oh, well, I don't get a fortune in gems, but I did get the wah, light tender crust and the real fruit filling of Hostess Fruit Pies. <laughs> the day wasn't a total lost, and now I'm going to go get cornholed. <laughs> now, what do you want to imagine these cops drive the drive the penguin out to the middle of nowhere first and beat the <laughs> out of him before they take him to the penguin? <laughs> now, damn, damn it I, feels good to be a gangster. <laughs> <laughs> now, I had the same thought about this that I ended up reading on your on your blog. So I hope I'm not uh, stealing it's anything okay. away from you. But as soon as I read this, my first reaction was, "Holy!" A couple of ordinary beat cops actually captured a friggin' criminal in Gotham City. I was really <laughs> happy for these guys because you just never see that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Anyway, let's just keep going. Next is a full page ad about how to enter the second Superman the Movie Contest. First prize is the actual cape worn by Christopher Reeve in the filming of Superman the Movie. Now, I know what you're asking. Which one? Well, I don't know. Because apparently they wanted you to think that Christopher Reeve only ever wore one cape during the entire movie. Which we all know is wrong these days because he had a cape for every occasion. Uh, One for standing, one for walking, one for sitting, one for flying, one for flying on a crane, one for flying but just laying on that device with the blue screen around him, one for, I don't know, looking left and one for looking right. All sorts of stuff. Uh, Anyway, moving right along, uh, next is a big full-page ad for Blamo Soft and Sugar-Free Bubble Gum. Next is for a microelectrical electronic digital watch from Star Wars. Uh, next is a Crossman air rifle because, you know, hey kids, guns. Now the next page is a full page Super Team Thrills ad from DC Comics. The top half covers Batman and the Unknown Soldier and World War II action. Check out Brave and the Bold number 146 on sale October 26th. And it's a beautiful Jim Aparo artwork. I believe that's the cover art, so that looks cool. And then DC Comics Presents number 5 features Superman and Aquaman in the fight to the finish with the Ocean Master on sale. De- October 12th, which features artwork by Ross Andrew and Dick Giordano, which also looks cool, 
and I also believe it's the cover art. Uh, next is a half-page ad for subscribing to Direct Currents, which is their monthly newsletter. And the bottom half is to let you know that you can purchase or order by mail uh, the famous first edition version, tabloid size version that reprints Superman number one. That's the you know Superman number one from 1939 because it was the only at this point it was the only Superman number one that there was. Uh, continuing Superman's 40th anniversary celebration and it's two dollars and fifty cents. You know, when you think about it, I mean, this is issue 331, so that's a long time ago. Anyway, uh, the Justice Society may be defeated. Can the Caped Crusader save the day in Adventure Comics number 461? We'll find out. Uh, this would be where the Justice Society strip has moved from All-Star Comics over to Adventure Comics and kind of got shuffled, or not shuffled, but um, cut a little bit. So trimmed and re-edited to fit a lower page count. Uh, but they got they wanted to finish the stories, and this I believe leads to the death of the Earth Two Batman. Uh, then of of course they also want to know: Are you ready for the new Unexpected Dollar Comic, which is Unexpected Number One Eighty Nine, uh, which apparently combines the Witching Hour and the House of Secrets. No ads, sixty-eight pages, all new, three chilling comics in one, and it's really cool. There's there's I don't know much about what happens in this issue, and I don't look at it when we do elsewhere. Elsewhere, But it looks like in New York City, there is a building, a skyscraper, where on the roof sits a haunted house, complete with dead trees and green grass and stuff. It, huh. That's really weird. Uh, then Slim Jim and Grit is the next ad page. Next ad page is Clark Bars and Draftsman. Uh, Hodgepodge ad. Hodgepodge ad page. Next we get to the letters column. The letters column does have the fir very first question for the great, the second great Superman movie contest. Uh, now, the question is, are you ready for this? And it doesn't matter if you know the answer because I'm not sending you anything, but... Women with the initials LL have always played an important part in Superman's life. He met one such woman, Lori Lamaris, the mermaid from Atlantis. A. As Clark Kent while on assignment at sea for the Daily Planet. B. When he saved the underwater city from destruction. C. When she telepathically contacted him for help. Or D. While Clark was a student at Metropolis University. Then apparently all you have to do is answer that question plus the other 25 that are that are throughout other DC comics and send it in and possibly if you get all 25 questions correct you're put in the drawing first person's name drawn out gets the superman cape the next 10 people get original artwork from Kurt Swan uh, from a superman comic and then everyone else gets a 2 year subscription to DC comics if you only answer 15 to 24 of the answers correctly, you get a one-year subscription to, any, to your favorite DC comic. If you get less than 15 correct, so 14 and lower, you get nothing. Uh, next is the Daily Planet page ad. Uh, apparently, this is for comics on sale the following month, so November. Uh, apparently, Ross Andrews is about to take over editorial ship of the Flash comic, and 
when he does, the story introduces a new clown that's causing all kinds of problems for The Flash and A Fast Way to Die by Carrie Bates, Irv Novick, and Frank McLaughlin. Uh, and in DC Comics Presents number six, Superman is going to team up with Green Lantern to take on the new deadly menace of Star Sapphire. And unfortunately, what they do is they use artwork from Neil Adams, like Neil Adams' faces, for both Green Lantern and Superman, and then tell you that the story is drawn is by Paul Levitt and Kurt Swan. Kurt Swan's a good artist. He's no Neil Adams. Next, we have the Hembeck at, uh, the Hembeck comic strip, where Superboy and Brainiac Five are interviewing new applicants for the Legion of Superheroes. Apparently, the next one is Peanut Eater Lad, which I believe is a is a joke for uh, Jimmy President Jimmy Carter, who was actually president at the time. And then there's Ask the Answer Man and the Direct Currents, which picks three of the comics that are going to come out the next week and tells you a little bit about them. Yeah. Then there's the 100-piece toy, toy Soldier ad, and then the inside back cover has a snap-tight model kit from Monogram, which means you don't even need glue now. And that's to build the Space Shuttle Enterprise, an F-15 Eagle, a Toyota bike hauler, which is an ugly, 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 ugly pickup truck from the 70s, but I guess the bike comes with it. I don't know if you can take the bike out. But... And then an even uglier Chevy van. It's um, olive-ish green, olive green, pea green kind of thing going on with gray flames on the sides. That's right. Remember in the 70s when flames were gray? Yeah, me neither. Yeah. Of course, I wasn't alive in the 70s. Maybe they were. I don't know. And then the interior is like orangish-yellow. Oh, God, what was up with the 70s? Jeez. And then Lego Expert Builder Set uh, to build like a car for ages 9 and up. Ooh, I've got a little buddy that's 9 years old. Maybe he would have liked one of these. This kid cannot only uh, put together any Lego set you buy him, but he also then takes them apart and builds his own stuff. Compl uh, vehicles, spaceships, cars, buses, race cars, things with working doors and hinges and every This kid, oh, he's amazing. His name's Jake, and he's pretty awesome if you ask me. All right, Adventure Comics number 461, as I mentioned before, does have a Justice League, a Justice Society story, sorry. Uh, the Justice Society story is the is only legends live forever. But outside of that, Flash deals with the multiple murders of Mapleville. Dead Man is in pursuit. Aquaman, who apparently got the shaft and got kicked off the cover for this issue, is in a story called The Hand That Feeds the Earth. And Wonder Woman is in the School of Amazoids, which apparently deals with features Wonder Woman versus Wonder Girl from the Titans. By the way, she's wearing that red costume. You know, she's got her long black hair. She's got the red costume with the... Oh, I like that costume. That's my favorite Wonder Girl costume. The ones with the stars and stuff, it's all right, but I don't know. Something about, something about that red one is just really cool. Anyway, uh, DC... Or not DC. Batman number 307. Uh, Batman versus the Dark Messenger of Mercy, who kills like homeless people and then puts gold coins on their eyes 
it's kind of weird. I've read that one, though. It's not terrible. Superman, uh, DC Comics presents number five. Features Superman teaming up with Aquaman to go up against Ocean Master, War of the Undersea Cities, which we kind of learned about a little bit ago. Drawn by Murphy Anderson, who, I'm sorry, but the first four issues were by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. To go from him to Murphy Anderson, and Murphy Anderson is a, good, a great artist, don't get me wrong, but it seems like a step back. You're going from modern to Silver Age. Uh, anyway, uh, moving right along. Flash, number 269, has Flash and Kid Flash going against some intelligent dinosaurs in a story entitled Domain of the Dark-Eyed Dragons. So, wait, so are they dragons or dinosaurs? Anyway, it appears to be some kind of a time travel issue. Uh, Justice League of America, number 162, The Creation Conspiracy. Don't ask me what this one's about because I don't know. But the Justice League goes against some crazy-looking animal, humanoid animals. It's, wow. A giant eagle, a giant rat, and a giant ant or scorpion or something. I can't, crab. It's probably a scorpion. So that's, that's weird. Uh, let's see. Superman Family, number 193, features a cover. Uh, the cover features Superboy going up against the Mechanical Master. Super, I'm sorry, Superboy and Crypto. Lana, or Lois Lane does something. Hospital Hostilities. I don't know what the story's about. You can sort of see half the cover, or you can only see half the cover because it was a wraparound cover. But Lois is in a nurse's uniform. Uh, also, Jimmy Olsen is in the project Perilous. Supergirl is in the Gravity War. Superman, my mother, Supergirl. And Nightwing and Flamebird tar uh, target Van Z. Now, I believe Superman's about to leave the title to be replaced by Mr. and Mrs. Superman. Anyway, Action Comics number 491 uh, looks like Superman versus Hawkman. While Superman's eyes are still in that burning out mode from last time. Uh, up against Brainiac. So that's kind of cool. As I recall, that's a pretty good issue. Uh, Batman t teams up with the Unknown Soldier in an un untold tale from World War II. Now, I thought this would be an Earth-2 Batman, but no. I forgot. This is Bob Haney. So, obviously, it's Earth-1, and it makes no sense. So, actually, it's Earth-H. I think it's Earth-H that they call it. Earth-Haney? Or do they call it Earth-B for Bob? I think H. Anyway, it's... Yeah, he he made his own continuity. Uh, let's see. Green Lantern number 112 continues the story from last time. Uh, Green Lantern of Earth 1 and Green Arrow teaming up with Green Lantern of Earth 2 uh, in the story called The Starheart Connection. Now, I know... I don't know how many people keep up with that listen to this keep up with Green Lantern, but I remember that the Starheart, if this is the same Starheart, is responsible for uh, keeping Alan Scott young, after uh, up to zero hour and after zero hour when the rest of the Justice Society got youngered, youngered is that a word? Got de-aged, and then um, or got eight were aged, 
yeah and then was also the source of his green flame power up until it was removed from his body in which point he started aging again and he got his green lantern ring back it, it's a long convoluted story but the star heart was his power source for a while and i believe also had a connection to jade uh super friends number 116 the people who stole the sky and this is a classic looking super friends story uh, all the super friends except for aquaman who is in the story but just not on the cover is inside this weird looking kind of glass cage um and that includes superman batman wonder woman zan jan uh, Zan and Jan, Jaina? Yeah. Uh, the Wonder Twins and Gleek. Zan, Jaina, and Gleek. Oh, no Robin either. Weird. In any event, um, yeah, they're going up against some weird-looking aliens. Ramona Freyden does the art, and it looks pretty. Next, Legion of Superheroes number 247 has two stories, The Savage Sanctuary and Celebration. That's right. Learn the startling secret of the Legion's 247th anniversary. And it looks like the current, or the then-current incarnation of the Legion meet the original, their original counterparts from back when the Legion started. So you've got Lightning Lad in his cool blue and white costume with the lightning bolts off his shoulders, meeting up with the caped uh, Lightning Lad with the puffy sleeves and the orange pants and the little lightning bolts on his chest and Saturn girl in his in her barely there pink costume up against the completely covered set younger Saturn girl with the complete with red skirt and cosmic boy with a costume that I'm pretty sure is also mostly not there and looks really weird for against the completely again completely covered pink and black costumed cosmic boy so that's cool but the main story, Savage Sanctuary, looks like they're going. Uh, the Legion's going up against the Fatal Five, who really are the only villains I know about. So, yeah. And finally, Wonder Woman number two fifty one. The name is Wonder Woman, and it looks like Prince uh, Diana, Princess Diana, try is trying to get back the name Wonder Woman from the Amazon that won it last issue. Does she succeed? I don't know. I would imagine she does at some point. She's Wonder Woman again by the time you get to the crisis. Well, that's all I know. Anyway, moving right along, that's going to do it for this episode of Superman and the Bronze Age. Make sure you come back next week for part two of the story introducing the Master Jailer. I'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer. Show notes can be found at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com, as well as links to the RSS and iTunes feeds and more. Also, we have a Facebook fan page where you'll get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted. Feel free to like us there. Want to comment on the episode you just heard? Email the show at superbronze1970 at gmail.com. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of both the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and the Comics Podcast Network at www.comicspodcasts.com. Make sure to check out both sites for more great podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you again for listening, and God bless.
can listen to our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. It started in November 2010, when one guy decided it was time to show the denizens of the internet that there was more to Superman's adventures from the 70s and early 80s than Alan Moore and Kryptonite Nevermore. Now, three and a half years later, that mission continues. This is Superman, Superman in the, the Bronze Age. Age. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and every week I shine the spotlight on this long-overlooked era on Superman in the Bronze Age. Join in the fun at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com.